0: Hi, folks. Welcome to the Chris Voss show.com. Hey, this uh podcast here, of course, coming to you with another episode. We have all the best audience, so we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in, especially those guys who listen to the all the way to the end of the show, which usually has the best parts as we go along. Uh, so thank you for tuning in. We certainly love and appreciate you guys. We have all the best audience. Um, and be sure to tell your friends, neighbors, relatives to subscribe to the show. We certainly appreciate it. We've been growing immensely and tell them to go to iTunes, or Google play to subscribe to the show. You can also go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss. You can subscribe to the podcast, hit that bell notification button and also see all the wonderful tech reviews I do. We've got a whole mess of really new cool technology products for companies like JBL Uh, You name it, it's kicking around here, Um, and we're we're so far behind on reviews, it's not even funny, so be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can get that as well. Uh, The most excellent bestly guest that we always have on the Chris Voss Show, we have another one today, William Campbell. Uh, William is an author, podcaster, and entrepreneur. He spent most of his life in Ireland, and he has also been educated in the UK and the US, and he's lived in Italy. Germany, and Thailand. In 2010, Brandon Books published his book, Here's How, Creative Solutions for Ireland's Economic and Social Problems to Positive Reviews. Since the publication, several of the innovations suggested in his book have been implemented as government policy. Welcome to the show, William. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, Chris? Good, good. And you're coming to us from the UK today, correct? No, I'm in Berlin, in Germany, right now. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Well, you know, it's I come from that era of children where it's all the UK. Oh! <laughs> you know, like Russia is just like still USSR to me. As far every time I see it on the map, I see USSR. Um, but you know, I'm what? What can you say? I went to I went to uh, public school as an education, so there 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 in it lies. Um, give us your plugs, William, so people can look up you uh, on the website, uh, your podcast, all that sort of good stuff.
1: I think the most interesting thing for people will be the Challenging Opinions podcast. It's not hard to find, just challengingopinions.com. And a little bit like yourself, Chris, I try to talk to interesting people, but somebody who's got a a point of view that they're pushing, and I try to push back against it. So whether it's sort of left or right, I try not to fall into the silo of always talking to people who agree with me. In fact, I seek out people who I don't agree with and try to have an intelligent conversation with them. Well, that's
0: very un-American of you, but you're not American. So uh, here in America, we just try and find all the stories that support our prejudice and biases.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I think you're not the only ones guilty of that.
0: Yeah. So I, I think it's pretty interesting what you're doing. So you kind of have a, like a counterpoint that you set up. So you, you find people with an opposing thing, or at least you try and take the opposing side, kind of like what you would in mm-hmm. like a debate sort of setting where you have a counter counterpoint sort of situation where you have these two opposing thoughts. That's pretty interesting. I like that concept. In a,
1: exactly in a exactly, and also try and keep it civil so that people actually yeah. learn something rather than just shouting at the at each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be
0: the fun part. Does does it work pretty well most times, or does? Uh, I
1: I think it does. From- I think people appreciate when they're being listened to, and uh-huh. you know, there's nothing like br- making some center ground. There's nothing for that except listening to people, and when somebody feels they're being feels they're being listened to, that's when you can really you know make progress and make compromises with people, I think,
0: yeah, and maybe we need to do more of that uh, in the world It's really hard to do that right now with what's going on in America because some of the things that are going on in America um, deal with racial prejudice and discrimination, mm-hmm. uh, which are very ugly things and and you know racism is 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 almost like someone who's uh has a fetish for something it's very hard to get them to change their mind once they've locked into that i know there's uh, certain examples where they people do change but um you know i mean here in america a lot of people most people if they're born into a political party they stick with it throughout their life and they rarely change uh, probably the same with religion and other elements. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about. We want to talk about Brexit. I know was a, a thing that you wanted to take and do on the show, uh, and and that probably ties into a lot of what we're doing. So let's let's talk about what, what. Give us an overview of what your perception is, because you're European. You have much a bigger kind of stake in this fight, if you will, than us Americans. Where and and probably we have some misunderstandings on our part, where we don't. Um, where we don't, you know, fully understand what was going on over there.
1: Yeah, well, there's two sides to it, really, or two parts to this issue, and one of them is the problem. Maybe it's unfair to call it a problem, but in the phenomena that was experienced in the presidential election in the U.S., whereby you had people who were so enthusiastic about Donald Trump when. Previously, perhaps, any of his qualities, they would have condemned. Certainly the evangelical Christians, uh, it would be surprising that somebody in his private life, they would would support. Yeah, yeah. Um, But Trump seemed to hit a nerve of people who felt excluded from the political mainstream. Mm. And Brexit in the UK, I think, did exactly the same thing. The type of people who were voting for Trump are also very similar t- to the type of people voting for Brexit, especially those swing voters. They mm. felt that they were being listened to. They wanted to kick against the establishment. They didn't particularly understand the ins and outs of what they were voting for. They might not, you know, the average Trump voter might not have been terribly well educated about you know, what Trump's policies would do. Same with Brexit. But they knew that the establishment didn't like this and for that reason, they wanted to kick against the establishment and choose choose that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's remarkable how close those two demographics are. Yeah. It's interesting. What, how- one other thing, well, I should say one other thing that's very remarkable about it is uh, Cambridge Analytica. We've heard of this company that uh, hacked, uh, essentially, Facebook and got uh, tens and possibly hundreds of millions of uh, people's profiles and used that to micro-target ads at them, Uh, the exact same company did the exact same thing, possibly sponsored by Russian money. Certainly very strange um, uh, financing of that. Somebody who had never been a political donor previously uh, became the largest ever political donor in UK uh, history. It seems clear that they broke uh, campaign finance law uh, and also broke data protection laws uh, sharing data between uh, different organisations um but that's uh, spilled milk the vote uh, is uh, the vote has been done and, and brexit won by about 51.8% yes it was very close it was a very tight vote yeah yeah um the, but now listen, the milk is spilt and when the EU negotiators, the other 27 countries in the EU, uh, they sat down and literally in one afternoon, they decided that there are three priorities to deal with this. And it was money, people, and Ireland. And uh, money was basically how much money the UK would owe, how they would settle that. Mm -hmm. That's been relatively easily settled. The other two problems are not going to be easy to settle. So the, the problems are... Uh, who is allowed to live where? So if you, you can imagine that uh, a state in the U.S., maybe Florida or Washington, is going to leave the United States and everybody who was born in Florida is now not going to have residency permits, uh, be permitted to reside in any other state in the United States and anybody who's in Florida who was not born there will not be allowed to live there anymore. How do you understand am actually that? for that because
0: Florida is pretty strange. They're, they're like our Jerry Spear <laughs> Part of America. If we cut them off, I'm, I'm sure we wouldn't miss anything from Florida. You, you, other than you know, those
1: there's a few people. You know, there's a few people in Europe who are saying much the same about Britain. Um, but I
0: think of just, course, I think just that, lost my <laughs> well, that's possible. Florida
1: audience. That's possible. But the the um, the difficulty with that is how do you unpick family relationships? How do you uh, um, decide? So there's sort of hints at saying that, well, if somebody's been resident for so more than so many years, that will continue. Uh, but does that mean a British person living where I am now in Germany, will they continue to be allowed to live in Germany or in any other European state? And that hasn't been clarified. Yeah. Um, and the other problem for, the, for, for Britain, and this is where it really kicks into the, the real problems, the priorities that the British need to have, is Britain is hugely de- dependent on migrant labour in some uh, economic sectors, and one of them is the health service. Uh, about twenty-five percent of the healthcare workers in the UK are from outside the UK, and they're not feeling very welcome in the UK at the moment. And the result is that hospitals and other healthcare facilities are having real problems recruiting healthcare workers. Wow. The second, the the second uh, at the other end of the income scale, the other. Uh, industry that's very heavily dependent on uh, immigrant labor is agriculture. So literally fruit picking, you know, uh, working uh, farms. Um, And uh, the UK pound has declined in value quite dramatically since this vote. So that means that people who might have come from maybe Romania or Poland to uh, pick potatoes or to, uh, uh, you know, process vegetables, it's not worth it so much anymore. And they don't feel like going because they feel like it's a hostile atmosphere. So it's not really clear. So one of the uh, one of the organizations in the UK that's very concerned about this is uh, the National Farmers Union. but the real one that's going to hit the real economy is integration with the European, uh, with the European, what's called the customs Union. Mm-hmm. That means that, uh, for example, there's a Nissan, the, the, the automobile company has a very new, very modern uh, auto plant in a place called Tyneside, which ironically was one of the places that voted most heavily in favor of Brexit. This plant employs an awful lot of people it's uh, this area is very heavily dependent on it they move 200,000 components in and out of britain every hour that they operate wow so if you so what has yet to be explained and they've only got a year to sort it out is if all of those 200,000 components per hour have to go through some sort of customs clearance how's that going to work and Really, nobody's got a good answer for that question yet.
0: It's it's an interesting thing that got us here. Um, you know, I, I as a as a kid, I was a student of history, and I I've, I hated history the class, but I loved history books, and I read a lot of, of JFK, Eisenhower, Roosevelt. Um, and one thing that always interested me was seeing the decisions that we would make through presidencies that would uh, affect other presidencies Vietnam of course was one that Mm -hmm. uh, was one sort of uh, dark period that that played through several of our presidential administrations and only seemed to get worse from administration to administration
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and and this is one of them Um, I think the early seeds of this you can harken back to the Bush administration I'm not being political here I'm being factual Um, but it's a well-known agreed fact now that the Bush administration, when they went into Iraq, which was unwarranted, um, just to, just to, uh, I don't know, outplay daddy's hand as a son. Um, we went into Iraq war and we destabilized the Middle East. Um, yeah, the guy was a monster and a butcher and stuff, but, uh, he was able to keep the Sunni and Shiite factions from, um, starting their own little civil wars. Uh, and he kept everybody all playing nice and, and and you know they he fought with Iran, so you know he kept Iran sort of on their heels. Um, but once we destabilized the uh, the Arab nations in the Middle East, then uh, weird stuff started happening. And then we saw, of course, the Arab Spring. Um, and uh, we gave more power to players, you know, ISIS arose from. From iraq and you know there's a lot of people that on um, over here that uh, blame obama for pulling us out of iraq but when he took office we were number one broke we were going through the great the greatest recession we'd ever seen almost a great depression we came so close to our economy halting it was even funny um and people were sick of 10 years of war and four trillion dollars of the iraq war and And so, you know, we had a president who was having to deal with uh, a nation sick of war, which we've seen over the years. Um, You know, I mean, one of the reasons we didn't go into World War II initially, uh, like we should have and could have saved probably a lot of lives on our end and their end for what we had to go in and fix when it was almost, uh, you know, they were almost encroaching on our property, um, Mm -hmm. was... um, you know, I mean, we got sick of that war, too, and World War One, and so the reason we didn't want to do World War Two is because we were protectionists and nationalists at that time, and a very populist where it's like, we're just going to worry about us, fuck you guys, have fun Europe. Europe, um, clean up your mess over there, you know, and then once it became to a point that we were being attacked and the fight was coming to us, we took the fight to them, and, and when you really think of if we would have stepped into that war the moment uh, Berlin and and Hitler started making our first transgressions into other countries, we could have shut that thing down and saved a whole lot of American lives and, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, European lives as well. And of course the Jews, we could have saved that whole 6 million um, uh, concentration camp in one of the ugliest parts of history. So it's interesting how it can really backfire on us when we don't step up and take care of problems or when we create problems. Uh, there was a lot of problems i remember reading about with uh, john f kennedy the bay of pigs cuba russia um a lot of things that you know he got handed this bag of goods and and they had to try and make them work from the prior administration as they were developing and um you know uh, i remember reading years ago uh, castro uh loved the us he wrote to them as a child and sent in a uh, a dollar or something or peso, whatever their monetary was in uh, pre-Castro Cuba, asking and he wanted the State Department or the or the feds to send him an actual dollar because he feared mm-hmm. the U.S. so much. And at, at one time, he was in play towards us and Russia to who was going to run his country when he took over as a revolutionary. And we snubbed him because we wanted to support, I think it was Ferdinand, the uh, prior corrupt Uh, president that was there and so he went to i think and here we are you look at now if we would have embraced him and said you know what that guy was corrupt we'll just yeah we'll just let you switch that one out um imagine what how different the last what is it 50 years now or 60 years that that we've been at war with cuba and it's achieved literally nothing
1: (laughs) yeah yeah Um and Chris, I think you're I'd agree with most of your you know the points you did a little tour of the world there yeah. um but i as somebody who's you know from outside the u s and obviously my podcast talks a lot to people in the u s mm-hmm. but I would maybe encourage you to remember that once in a while the U.S. has had victories as well and has, you know, stepped oh, yeah. up and do the right thing. And i would and give you one example, and I'll give it to you because I think very few people in the U.S. actually know about it. Because after, uh, as was the Soviet Union and the U.S., and with the help of Britain and France, defeated the Nazis uh, in Germany, um, it, it, Churchill, who was the British leader at the time, uh, wanted all the senior Nazis just shot on the spot. And the Soviet Union, under Stalin, wanted to have show trials, which was his sort of speciality. The U.S. came along and they said, no, we need to have real trials with real lawyers, real charges. And if people are found guilty, uh, they pay the price. And Mm. that happened. And the U.S. initiated right across the area of Germany that it controlled what was called a denazification process. Mm-hmm. and that process was going into every town every village and in the first thing they did was they locked up every single nazi party member and then let people out slowly and uh, were very careful about how they did that and they made films and they educated the population and they founded newspapers which are still mm-hmm. being published in germany today uh, but in particular made uh, one incident that i was aware of made a a film of all the concentration camps the death camps
0: and they forced them to watch
1: film Uh, yeah and the way they forced them to watch it and of course this was on film you couldn't copy it very easily so it was brought from town to town and when you went uh when this film came to your town you were told you had to go to the cinema on this date and watch it and your ration card would be stamped Mm-hmm. And if this film had been to your town and you didn't have the stamp on your ration card saying that you'd been, no more food. So for sure you were going to, and there was not a lot of food around, so for sure you were going to watch that uh, that film. And I remember seeing, uh, and I, yeah, I can't remember which history book it was, but uh, just a photograph. And the photograph was what would look to us like, you know, kind of two uh, women Um, But when you look at it, you can see that the girls, they're quite young, but they're dressed in wartime clothes, so it looks old to us. And they have um, uh, really not happy faces. This is not people who are smiling for a photograph. Mm. And the caption on the photograph was that the U.S. troops who stood inside the, the, the movie theater when this film was running... Uh, saw that these two girls were laughing and they were, told, they were told you have to go back and watch this film again and then this, this uh, photograph was taken and this had a profound effect this had a very very profound effect that lasts to this day and if you look to this day at the Nazi areas that's to say the areas taken over by the Nazis which were Germany, Austria and also Hungary was essentially a Nazi allied country. They they had their own fascist dictator. After the war, what became West Germany until unification, which is the most of Germany, was effectively under US control. East Germany was a smaller Soviet controlled area. Austria and Hungary were, uh, were considered to have, I think wrongly considered to have been victims of the Nazis rather than collaborators. And this denazification program occurred only in West Germany. To this day, you can see that neo-Nazi parties are stronger in the areas that did not get that denazification program. Mm. And the far right, these these uh, people who are banging the drum uh, uh, of intolerance, have no currency whatsoever in the areas where the Americans ran these denazification programs. And I just... Uh, sometimes like to tell that story when I meet Americans because uh, it's something that's not so well known in the U.S. But yeah. it had a profound, profound effect.
0: I've uh, seen the for, pictures
1: uh, for good. I've, mm-hmm.
0: I've seen the pictures of the of the uh, Nazis having to sit in the theater and just the looks on their faces as they're watching the concentration camp pictures.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I'm in I'm in Germany at the moment, and mm-hmm. um, uh, on Berlin streets there are what are called Uh, Stumble-stone. Stones, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, And uh, this is maybe something the size of your fist that's just set into the pavement. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead of of a stone uh, or or, uh, concrete in the pavement, it's uh, a brass plaque. Brass plate. Uh, And um, it says, uh, Here volta, here lived, and a person's name.
0: Mm -hmm. The Jews that were taken from that location.
1: Exactly, so where they can research and find somebody who was murdered uh, they they will uh, put a small memorial. And um, many, probably millions of German people walk over those uh, stumble stones every yeah. day when they go in and out of their apartment blocks.
0: You know, there is, there is uh, I remember one of my German friends who comes to visit me uh, about every year here in America. Uh, she told me about the Stumbling Stone years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I was pretty amazed. And then she told me, uh, the series of processes, laws uh, that they have in Germany to prevent the rise of the uh, Nazi Nazism again. Um, I mean, even as an American citizen, if I go over there and make a high hell salute, I could be arrested. Um, and, and they have really tight laws on, on keeping that from happening. Um, and, you know, here in America, we, we struggle with this concept of free speech. It's in our constitution. And what is free speech? And over the years, we've had to start drawing lines of hate speech, that there are certain elements of speech that are violent, dangerous. Um, but it, the, the problem is it is a sliding scale. It is a, it is a, you know, once you start cutting into these segments uh, of what is not free speech and what is free speech, uh, you start. Um, you know, you start getting in the danger of what Germany slid into, where suddenly we were burning books. And, you know, we already have a problem with libraries banning books like To Kill a Mockingbird. So what happened from the Arab Spring that came, uh, and you probably – uh, blame this on Facebook and Twitter as well. Come to Think of it. In fact, did, they kind of caused this whole thing. When it comes down to it, so the Arab Spring overthrew a lot of countries and, of course, destabilized the Middle East. With us going in Iraq, and it started the the Arab Spring. Started the Syrian civil war, um, and out of that civil war has just been the uh, the uh, I think it's millions of. Citizens from Syria pouring into, of course, Europe and any place that they can to get away from uh, that ugliness. And of course, ISIS was able to spread through that. And of course, uh, in, in inside of uh, Syria, ISIS was able to build a base, and then parts of Iraq that uh, didn't give a crap after we pulled out. So, um, out of that, to my understanding, that surge of migrants is what really created this populism. Rise Brexit um, America uh, you know everybody going we want we want our country first so Britain first America first all this sort of thing because people really uh, got tired of seeing the migrants come into um, into their country and sadly uh, you know there's a, there's an old line about uh, man that I love to take and repeat because we seem to be doomed to repeat all of our errors just about every generation. Um, and of course, it doesn't help. We don't spend more money on education. But over the eons of American or of, of human history, government officials, politicians have always played the immigrant card the us versus them, the those people are different, and we're, we're the, we're the uh, chosen bunch, and they're the illegal aliens. Aliens. I'm not sure why we're referring, referring to other human beings that share the same DNA as us as aliens. Therein lies the problem with that discussion. Uh, but you would think that human beings, after seeing politicians play us like fucking fiddles with this us versus them, immigrants are bad thing that's been going on for eons of time, that we would get smart enough to go, yeah, we've seen this movie. We're not playing this game. But no, we're fucking dumb because we're fucking human, na- human nature, and therein lies the, <laughs> the, the basis of all of our problems. Um, we're both good and evil, and we have beauty and ugliness inside of us, and, and hopefully one version of us will win. But uh, to me, that's what really created Brexit. Am I wrong, or uh, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think you're correct. Um, The... Uh, there was the involvement of uh, Cambridge Analytica, yes. um, but the, the, the UK parties, which uh, yeah. has never uh, won a, a single seat in a UK general election in in the Parliament. So literally, without having almost a, out of six hundred and fifty, not a, not a single member of the Parliament, yeah. they were able to. Um, you become a single issue, so they were very unsuccessful as a political party, but mm-hmm. very successful as a campaigning group. and they focused like a laser beam on banging the immigration drum
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and uh, that was successful. There's no question about that. They succeeded in doing that and and um where Donald Trump had the Mexicans, they had. Uh, a number of false stories. Yeah, um, probably a lot of the and, Syrian immigrants
0: uh, stuff, right?
1: Well, well, first of all, the the issue was entirely bogus because the immigrants from outside the EU, the EU has no control over that. That's the UK's choice uh, as to what level of immigration that they accept from outside the EU. Um, but as i said before you were dealing with i think a lot of voters who had a very clear idea of what they f- felt but were perhaps low information voters and didn't want to be told by uh, the establishment what to do or what to think and um if you look at some of the posters uh, they were explicitly using um, images of syrian refugees uh, without any explaining why that might be relevant to the vote But it was relevant, even if it wasn't not relevant to the vote. It was relevant to the voters.
0: What's interesting to me, and I've always studied economics, M1, M2, money policy, the Federal Reserve. Uh, One of my, I think, when I was 18 or 20, I was studying to become a stockbroker, passing the test, and 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 understanding how the world of financing, banking, uh, stock markets worked. Um, it's been disappointing me for most all my life that, uh, we do a very poor job of education in schools, not to teach people these things so that can understand how little these immigrants affect our economy and how much they do contribute to our economy. Uh, especially, uh, you know, we have the same problem here. You do where we use a lot of immigrants to do the jobs that Americans won't do, like picking fruit and, and actually servicing most of our, um, food sourcing that comes. Uh, you know, I just read a thing today that in California, in what they call, I think the salad bowl or something like that, but it's where a lot of our fresh fruit comes from. The immigrants there that are illegal are living 20 to a house. And of course, they're scared of deportation. And, and what we don't realize is we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot and increase prices, uh, not only with tariffs at Walmart, you know, I, I heard Bill Maher tell the joke. I can't wait till all these tariffs kick in and all the immigrants are kicked out, and people go and all the Trump voters at Walmart find that there's the shelves are empty. Um, mm-hmm. They they just don't realize how much this is going to make their life a living hell, especially for a cost basis. It's interesting to me too that people live today in such a non-actualized state that they can be played so hard with this angle of. Of Hey, your life's a a living hell and a piece of shit, not because of us politicians have been doing our job and we've been overtaxing you and we've been robbing you blind by all of our inside deals and everything that we do where all of our congressmen become multimillionaires through their... um, you know, dirty dealings. But the average Joe is sitting there going, why can't I get a job? And then of course the politician comes along and goes, Hey, you stupid knuckle dragger. uh, It's the immigrants fault. It's not us. And they go, "Yeah, it's the immigrants fault. These politicians have been stealing money from me all this time. It's the immigrants. It's like,
1: yeah. um, Chris, there's a book uh, by, I think Eric Schlosser, um, Reefer Madness, but it has one section on, uh, i think exactly what you're talking about the salad bowl in california and he details very very clearly how the and their large industrial uh, uh, industrial conglomerates that are controlling the, f- the the farming uh there how they campaign quite carefully to have a very specific level of action against illegal immigrants Mm -hmm. and they they don't want to have all of the illegal immigrants kicked out they want them just afraid enough not to cause trouble Mm -hmm. Uh, they need those that labor there Mm -hmm. they don't want them kicked out but they want them in just enough fear of being kicked out that they uh don't uh don't um start demanding uh, better wages or better conditions. And, and uh, I thought that was a, uh, a very, you know, uh, it was a good documentation of a very cynical move. Uh, yeah,
0: it's, it's part of one of the things that came from the Syrian immigrants was ISIS. And of course, we created ISIS by leaving that void in Iraq, by leaving Iraq, because we became more nationalistic and didn't want to mess with Iraq anymore, which is the problem we started and caused the de- de- destabilization of Arabs. So a world there in the Middle East.
1: So we pull can out. I challenge you a bit on that, Chris? Sure, yeah. Can I challenge you a bit on that? Um I completely agree. And the, the in uh, of about the destabilization of that the Iraq War had obviously on Iraq, and. Um, you mentioned, and I think you kind of went very quickly past it, but there's, of course, and always been a lot of uh, traffic. A lot of people from North Africa, mm-hmm. uh, in particular, live in Europe and work and study and so forth. And if you think the Arab Spring started in 2011, WhatsApp had a big influence on that. What, what because did? Because what, WhatsApp, the uh, the messaging, WhatsApp, uh, yeah. the messaging platform, yeah, um, because. Everybody in, who lived in Tunisia or Libya or Egypt had a brother or a cousin or a friend who was working or studying in Europe. And while you're a dictator, and when you can control the information and you can say, basically, it's me or oblivion, then that's uh, pretty convincing. But when somebody's got a phone in their hand and their brother is sending them a message saying, no, actually, you know, in other countries it's different. There's democracy. There's mm-hmm. better economy. There's uh, better freedom. You can say what you like. People draw a cartoon of the political leader on the front page of the newspaper, and the editor doesn't get uh, sent to jail. Yeah. And I think the business model of being a dictator in an information age has just changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. And that enormously destabilized uh, the Arab world, North Africa and the, yeah. and the Middle East. The Middle East is slightly different, but particularly in North Africa.
0: I, I totally agree uh, with you. that's what I was referencing yeah. when I said Facebook and Twitter. Uh, yeah, WhatsApp and you know even in China there was I think there was telegram or one of the apps that they were able to use even after um, the governments were shutting off the uh, cellular systems. they could still use mm-hmm. certain things to get around it. Um, but out of, out of that, we created ISIS and you can't blame a president. Yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was public opinion at that time. We were all sick of the Iraq war. We all were sick of $4 trillion in debt. We were almost broke in the great recession. So we didn't have a bunch of money left over to throw at wars. And so it was time to, you know, quit policing the world and pull back a bit, but out of that void was created ISIS. And I think, I think. A large part of immigrants coming to Europe and then of course the ISIS attacks uh, the terrorist attacks that came with them and you know a lot of people started drawing comparisons of course to we're letting the Afghans in or the Syrians in and they're they're you know inf- the ISIS is infiltrated with them and coming through with them and they're just running across the borders um,
1: and that, that's that's not entirely accurate I mean there have been some terrorist attacks they haven't come from people who came as Syrian refugees.
0: Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not saying specifically that's what it was, but I, the, mm-hmm. it, it created this mindset among the voters, I think, where the voters were like, immigrants bring ISIS and terrorism and shit blowing mm-hmm. up. And, and, you know, whether it's the Syrian thing, I, I, I'm, the reason I'm, I think I'm highlighting Syrian above other refugee is because there were so many of them coming in that were escaping the Syrian war.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But but I think, and I think your analysis is correct, but it's not the only one. And w- one other aspect is the appeal of a fundamentalist ideology, particularly to people who, are, are, it seems to be, have an education in the very hard sciences. So if you go to an Islamic scholar, somebody who spends time studying the Quran and understanding the background and how it was written and the various shades of meaning, you'd have it very hard to find a Muslim extremist. But if you... And the, the population from which people like suicide bombers are drawn are typically people who do not have a very good understanding of the Quran. It's people who ha- have studied engineering physics, mathematics, and very hard sciences that give you very clear yes or no answers. And it seems to be that that, that type of personality in particular is, is uh, attracted to that. And when you mix that in with a degree of maybe social isolation, that seems to have become uh, a, a very dangerous mix. And um, the, the that's, that's an appealing alternative to the obviously very corrupt dictatorships in the Middle East. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's certainly these dictatorships uh, really um, helped us sort of go along. And, of course, and, and, and alternatively social media, you know, YouTube. I remember seeing during the Iraq war the Sunnis and Shiites and Al-Qaeda posting their videos on YouTube using these social media platforms as propaganda uh, mm-hmm. that also helped drive ISIS and everything else. Um, I remember seeing them post videos of them sniping out American soldiers, which were just horrific mm. to watch. Um, and they would be playing their music, you know, for propaganda purposes through the video and doing, you know, their chants of whatever their political things was. Um, yeah, that I think that really hurt Europe. And it, and it, it was it was probably already a great field to play on. I don't mean great isn't a good thing, but uh, uh, I basically us coming out of the recession in uh, 2000 from what 2008, 2008 on uh, I know that Europe had a hard time with that, especially pensioners. Um, uh, You guys is, you guys had a lot of banking issues over there. Um, It really upset a lot of people's retirement and finances, I think more so here than in America.
1: Mm -hmm. That's true.
0: Yeah. And so that just created uh, a fertile ground for, you know, uh, people being disillusioned, upset, and of course, a politician comes along and goes, "Look over there, it's those immigrants." And in the meantime, I don't know what's going on in Europe, but we have uh, we have a political administration that is just turned us into a cash register, and they're just enriching their billionaire selves with uh, tax things. And and they're gonna. The sad problem is they're making people's lives worse especially the trump voters in the middle of the country the farmers and stuff now are being inflicted upon by these uh, the reckless tariffs we're putting into place and um i was just reading the other day there's a there's a couple ships of sour gum uh that we've exported to china that are st- stuck in the middle of the sea between the u.s and china because of the tariffs and i'm sure that that's breaking the bank or probably bankrupting farmers, which are usually on the edge of bankruptcy here in America as it is. And the sad part is is that's going to create more economic disruption and more opportunity for people to go, it's the immigrants over there, it's the immigrants. And people are so goddamn fucking stupid that they will not realize what's, uh, what's being played upon them by the snake oil salesman.
1: That, that's possibly true. I mean, in the, if I can bring anything brighter to it, in the U.S. there's, uh, I think, a very strong tradition of the separation of powers, and that has prevented the deterioration of the democracy. Uh, in I think in many instances it's a very important safeguard.
0: Actually, what's been and, deteriorating the thing, and I think this is what you're saying, has been the deterioration of that separation of church and state uh the biggest problem we're having right now is the is the influence of church over the state uh and the commingling now the collusion of church and state that is becoming a huge problem here in america i mean right now they're trying to uh pass the laws so that the churches can create uh super PACs, which are these billion dollar political uh machines that can run commercials and spend all their money to influence political behavior Um, and uh, one of the reasons that's usually been uh, unauthorized or illegal up until this point was because they didn't want church-influencing state, and it's one of the reasons that our churches have a tax-exempt status. So it becomes a real problem when these churches decide that they can create super PACs using their tax-free status to use that money to influence politics to enrich themselves more. Uh, Or or to to get their things done, which I mean, it's just really messed up. Especially when a super PAC, I believe, is a nonprofit. (laughs) So a nonprofit is being built on a nonprofit.
1: Uh, That's true. I mean, I think um, it's probably the case that this that separation of church and state in the U.S. is more important because the U.S. is so much more religious. In Britain and Germany uh, and other European countries, um, uh, churches, religions get taxpayer money to run their schools, pretty much entirely financed by the taxpayer. And nobody has much of a problem with that because the influence of religion is that much weaker. Uh, that that people just aren't that religious. Hmm. Um, do your political, uh, do your
0: church institutions over there muck about in politics, though? Do they? Do they? they uh, put money into political campaigns and things of that nature?
1: It, um, it di- changes. It's different from country to country. No, but in Europe,
0: um, I'm sorry, it, in, the, it, in Britain.
1: It, uh, it, um, in, in Britain, uh, uh, the UK has a state religion. Uh, the Queen of England is the head of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are 32 bishops of the Church of England who are members of the House of Lords who sit mm-hmm. Uh, in parliament and can vote on laws so they don't need to uh, they don't need to interfere indirectly because they can vote directly uh, on, on elected bishops uh, um but in actual i mean I, to me i'm uncomfortable with the level of uh, the level of uh, religious influence there um, mostly because of tony blair and tony blair uh, who was um, prime minister from from, from 97 until 2007, um, strongly encouraged faith schools, that's to say religious run schools, being funded by taxpayers' money. And um, there have been quite a string of scandals, uh, particularly of um, fundamentalist groups, both Muslim and Christian. Taking over schools where only a small portion of the of the uh, families sending their kids to school would subscribe to that religion, but they're getting um, essentially Indo- hardcore indoctrination day after day for their kids.
0: Yeah, and it becomes its own. Thing. Uh, no, I'm 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 hoping that we don't we avoid that sort of model coming to us in the, in the U.S um it's really alarming like i said right now we're trying to do the we're trying to get religions are trying to seize more power it's been interesting our evangelical religions over here have embraced one of the most toxic people vile people um both on attacks on women and attacks on um immigrants um and they're willing to embrace that and and sell their souls to that devil um in in, uh, in, what's the word I'm looking for, in exchange for power in in the government and and being able to take over control. Um, Yeah, I remember remember hearing about Brexit, that Brexit, a lot of the rural people were the ones who voted for Brexit. And a lot of the urban people, of course, saw the fallacies of it.
1: And there's been a book written, and I can't remember the name of the author, but uh, it was, um, it talked about the somewheres and the anywheres and the the divide was a bit more uh a bit more subtle than that and this guy divided the the country into two social groups and the somewheres were the people who lived in a particular place probably lived there their whole lives and had a strong affinity to that place and the anywheres were people who maybe moved to go to university uh were very comfortable living in different places and comfortable mixing with people from lots of different places um the so it was a social divide but it wasn't the one that we've mostly expected so it's not a class yeah. divide and it's um uh london of course being so cosmopolitan was very strong pro european vote yeah. and ha- and by that analysis had lots of anywhere as lots of people moved to london also from places in the uk um and then northern cities, industrial cities that have maybe gone through industrial decline, what might be called the Rust Belt, where the places where the very strong anti-European Brexit vote uh, was.
0: So we had the very similar thing. We have, you know, we have what are called the coastal elites, where we have um, on both coasts the largest populations concentrated, and those con- those populations are the most liberal. And like you say, um, if you live in a very uh, a tight city crammed with a lot of people uh, from all walks of life, all colors, all races, uh, people, ethnicities, you know, I mean, it's, it's a mosh pit of humanity. Oh, yeah,
1: this is this is the irony. The irony is, the people who hate the racist, the people who hate immigrants most, are the people who never meet immigrants.
0: Exactly, a- exactly. And and when you live in a city, it's very hard to be a racist because if you are, you're going to be you're going to be seeing all the people you hate like all day long. And I imagine it is possibly racist in a liberal city, but for the most part, you end up making friends with people of all different uh, of all differences. And mm-hmm. you you learn you know how to get along. You have them as friends, um, and and uh, you see the values. You see their lives. You find out they're just like us. They wanna they wanna find the love of their life. They wanna get married. They wanna raise kids uh, and live happily ever after. Hopefully with a financial life and career and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, people want pretty simple goals when it comes down to it, and so. You know, we went through that with, uh, with our um, extension of what you guys did. And Cambridge and Linica, like you keep saying, is the thread that, that runs through Brexit and Trumpism. Um, in, and, what, and basically what they did is they took what politicians have done for years and they attached it to social media and went hog out with it and tapped into people's darkest prejudices um, that they found closeted for the last eight years, when we had an African American president, well, we did things like uh, approve gay marriage and and uh, and accept the transsexuals as beings, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, we started doing all this stuff to for the good of humanity, at recognizing that we're all human, and then uh, those people who resented those things largely because their economic bases were being put asunder, and, and, you know, I I don't know if you guys have what we have here in, in Britain. Um, One of the problems we have was NAFTA and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the people that are living in the steel uh, or what we now call the rust belt. It used to be the steel belt. I think, Um, you know, they can see very actively their jobs moving to Mexico to cheaper labor. They can see automation taking their jobs away and they're left with nothing. And like you mentioned, they're in these, Geographical rural areas that um, just become ghost towns overnight as these you know big job uh, places leave for cheaper labor and you know we have this huge problem where we have the flower states the center of the country the red people that are, are wonderful valuable human beings uh, sadly are being impacted by uh, this change of where they're going over in our society where we're going from you know a mechanical age. Industrial age, where we're now becoming an information age, and a more cerebral time, uh, and uh, time of automation robots that are going to replace a lot of jobs. And sadly, we really should be spending our money retooling these people's education. Maybe moving mm-hmm. them out of geographic areas that are have become ghost towns. You know, it, it's sad that they. You know, a, a watching Donald Trump go. We're getting your coal miner jobs back. I mean, was there a whole lot of people that are like, "Yes, I can get black lung now. I'm so excited <laughs> for this. Um, I can live. I can go to, back to work in an environment that is so risky and and can kill me so quickly and easily if something goes wrong." That yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, you know, and and we're stuck in this in this juxtaposition between going from one age to the next, and you know, we we got what you guys got with. Uh, brexit we got a clawback we're basically here in america uh everyone from their late 50s uh and 60s that were raised in this era of racism uh, rampant racism and 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 uh, and the uh, the uh control of the great white way i could say that since i'm also white um i mean that's really <laughs> what they wanted they wanted they got this clawback where they're like you're not gonna progress and we want this is our last ditch effort in our retirees to pull you back to the way we used to be because we feel we're losing our great white way power. And that's really the referendum of what we had. Um, I'm always shocked when I see somebody who isn't white supporting Trump. But, um, I mean, what can you say? Um, The Barnum-Bailey said it best. There's a sucker born every minute. Um, So let me ask you this. How do we get out of this? Where do we go from here Certainly Donald Trump became and Brexit was kind of a shit show, but Donald Trump took the shit show to a whole new level to a point where mm-hmm. Europeans said, Holy fuck, we're not doing what these two idiots did. Uh, you know, we saw the thing with Le Pen and, and Macron in France, which is which was the next referendum after our vote, and mm-hmm. and people took a uh, a turn back to the left and said, Okay, yeah, this is a bad thing. Where do, you, where do you see the future going? Do you see Brexit actually getting executed, or is that going to be re-voted, do you think?
1: Um, I think that very specifically on the Brexit one, I think it's going to be very hard to, um, uh, to hit the brakes on that. Mm. However, I think it will be fudged. Uh, the, um, one particular British commentator said that uh, for a long time, Britain was half in the EU, Mm-hmm. Uh and they may end up just instead of being half in, they'll be half out. Mm. Um it, that probably is the worst possible outcome for uh Britain in the long run. Was, you know, it's the, it's the, that's to say that they will be part of the customs union, which would mean that they would have to follow the various rules uh of the customs union, but wouldn't have a say over what those rules would be. So yeah. Uh, n- not a great deal, but that, But they, the UK will be looking at very, very serious economic problems if they try to be entirely isolationist, because Britain is a trading nation. But I think to answer your main question, which is how, how do we go forward, um, I think that Trump could not have won, Cambridge Analytica aside... All of those, uh, you know, race-baiting aside and so forth, all of those things certainly helped, but they were built on a basis, and the basis was that there was a bunch of people who were being left behind and who were not being listened to and not being even addressed by, you know, what you might call the coastal elites, what might be called the metropolitan elites in, in Britain. and you know, you can bang your head and you can say, how stupid are these people? They're voting against their own intentions. And you're probably correct. That's right. They're, they're clearly voting against their own best interests. And some admit to that they're, too.
0: They're just like, we're just tired yeah, of everything. Yeah, so yeah. We, we're going with the fuck it card. Throw, it, throw yeah. a Molotov cocktail in and see what happens because that's where we're at now.
1: Yeah. And I, I have to say insulting those people is probably the least... Uh, creative, the least constructive thing that you could do. That insulting them just doesn't work. If it, And I'm struggling to remember the guy's name, but he wrote a very, very famous book. Uh, black guy, and uh, I think he was religiously inspired, but what he did was he set out to make friends and truly make friends with the members of the Ku Klux Klan. And he uh, he he uh, just didn't try to convince them of anything, didn't try to persuade them of anything, just was a friend mm-hmm. and inspired many of them to leave. And indeed, and uh, I can't remember, uh, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to look it up, but he essentially destroyed the entire organization by befriending its leaders mm-hmm. in his area. And it's it's an inspiring story. I and think I I've seen
0: videos to. of him giving advice, or uh, I've seen videos of him hanging out, talking. Yeah. And, uh I, I think he went into. He's an
1: inspiring movie. speaker, and, 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 and yeah, and I'm, makes friends I'm with the
0: He even goes to rallies, yeah, go to rallies, KKK rallies, and just have conversations like, oh, "Let's talk about why you yeah, hate."
1: and... and Exactly. And I I don't want to make the comparison to the Trump voters, but I just want to compare that um, if you become the cliche that they hate, it is very easy to continue hating. But if you challenge that and you can say, no, actually, I'm just a human being. And if you just be a human being, it's much more difficult to and for exactly the same reason that the you get the highest levels of anti immigrant feeling where you yeah. don't get any immigrants because they're seeing these people as a cliche just as as uh, a report on a tv news station or whatever yeah. but you know when it's the guy who sells you your coffee in the morning the guy who's uh uh driving a taxi the guy who is the doctor who treats you in the hospital or whatever it's very hard to hate on specific individuals who you know who you meet in your daily life it's much easier to do that with a cliche
0: and right now we're we're stuck in this middle part of history where we have an aging racism era born and raised uh voting block that is in our senior citizens i'm not saying everybody but the largely the trump voters um and you know they came from an era of extreme white power and control extreme racism they they, a lot of them are have closet racism where they believe it or not um you know i'll talk to i'll talk to people that are in the senior groups uh and and they'll say you know i I love trump and i'm not a racist and you're like okay well so you're not a racist and then once you start talking about different people like hispanics or something you'll hear yeah those people in their culture that culture that they have and then you start hearing these white supremacist words come out that I don't think they realize are racism or show their bias, but the more they talk, the more they tend to, um, they tend to, uh, uh, what's the right word? To reveal themselves. Uh, expose themselves and reveal themselves. And I don't think a lot of them are aware of that. I think they're just have a generational, they were raised in that generation of the 60s and, and 50s and stuff, which are the Trump voter block. Um, and they want that back. And the biggest problem they've seen is their loss of power. They see the increase of immigrants coming over and taking over blocks. I was recently watching, I think it was a Vice show, where they were talking with um, and getting updates from Trump voters. And one of the Trump voters' issues was uh, their worryness that there would be more immigrant voters that would start to control America over them. It's a real power fight over the great white way and immigrants, uh, minorities, you know, they're seeing that blacks are of course voting and taking more of the demographic over. These are the people who uh, just probably um, just rile when they see uh, a a black uh, couple and a white, a black and white couple together and go, Oh, you know uh, what's going on with our whatever. Um, And so we're stuck in this middle part of history where this old block is dying off. They're fading away. They're moving into retirement. And of course they'll pass away eventually. And that block will be gone. That, that block of our generate or several generations that were uh, raised in that racist environment. You know, this, this, these people were still raised in an environment where we had a colored and a white, you know, bathrooms. We had colored and white, uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, water faucets. We had color and white places they could go. If you were black, you couldn't go through the front lobby of nice hotels. You had to go in through the back door. Um, these are what these people were raised with. And whether they realize it or not, when you sit down and talk to them long enough, you'll at first get the economic bullshit that they put out as to why they voted for Trump. And then if you talk to them long enough and get into them, or what's interesting is even bring around other people of other minorities. um, Then you start seeing the racism that's very latent and very closeted with them. And I don't think a lot of them even realize it. Uh, Sometimes you'll see the misogyny. Like I remember watching interviews of Trump voters in, in small towns like Pennsylvania. And you would see them talk about, well, you know, they're, it's about jobs and it's economy and I'm tired of my job. And the longer they talk, then the misogyny comes out or the racism comes out. Like I would hear, you start hearing comments about Hillary Clinton and, and her feminism or her, her, the fact that she is a woman. Um, and then you would hear the misogynist stuff come out. And you realize that people were putting up a front. That what Cambridge and Ellinica played to was the deepest, darkest, ugly prejudice that people had. Now, in the middle part of our history, we have a new chapter hopefully beginning. Uh, we have this wave of these youth voters that are now uh, really enraged by, uh, you know, they had to live every day going to school, wondering if they're going to be slaughtered that day. They, you know, they go through all these drills every day of what to do in an active shooter situation, which I can't believe, imagine the terror of just going to school nowadays. Um, and then these school shootings, that are happening really on a daily basis here in America, which you guys don't have the pleasure of having over there in Europe. Thank God. I might move to Europe. Um, and... Um, And so we have this, but we have this huge voting block that is now really being activated. And we have these young kids in this new voter blocks that they're used to living in the whole world. They're used to being on Instagram and social media. I mean, even the whole, even social media opened up the world to me. Uh, after Twitter, I suddenly had international clients around the world that I was doing business with that I I could never really ever know that I would have done that before without social media. And so, these people are also exploring other cultures. They're seeing pictures of different other worlds and 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 countries and ethnicities and, and cultures, and and they're. They're embracing those, you know, they're watching on Instagram, you know, this, this country is that, and this, and people posting their travels, and to me, I think there are a lot more international sort of thinking sort of people, they, they see the world, and, and it's become their metro, if you will, and it's become their big city, if you will, and and hopefully, with our what they are calling right now the blue wave, which is supposed to come in 2018, where we take back control of our government and, and hopefully control over the uh, White House, where there is a uh, where there isn't a uh, supporting um, there isn't a supporting um, you know Congress that just lets the president run willy nilly, which wasn't supposed to happen. They were supposed to be the policing. Units of our thing. So hopefully we have this wave coming. Do you see any of that going
1: on where you have
0: a blue wave that might flip you back in in the in the coming years?
1: One thing that's very different about the European politics is that the political country has two parties. And that's a break on extremism. Um, so for example, in the U.S., you've had kind of general, moderately conservative government for most of the history, but when even one party gets taken over by radicals, it has an enormous effect. And I think, and I've um, you know spoken to people in the Republican Party, maybe older people who are really quite startled of the, what's happening to their party, yeah, and how it's been taken over by people with a with a, an agenda just reduced taxation. Yeah, the no, GOP has
0: no. had two really pulls to the to the mm-hmm. far right. The there was line. the yeah. there was the Tea Party and then there was the Trumpism. Yep. Um, Th- that, right that's now, true. there's there's feelings that the Democratic Party is being pulled to the extreme left uh, as a as a, a thing. Now in Britain you guys have the Tory party and the Labour party.
1: And um, that's true that's in Britain um, there is there is also uh, not as strong as it used to be the uh, Liberal Party, which um, up to 2010 were in coalition government with the Conservatives. In Scotland, uh, the configuration is different because there's the Scottish National Party, which actually uh, is in government in Scotland, and uh, uh, other parties, the Conservative and Labour parties, are much smaller. Um, but in most countries in Europe the parliaments have four or five or six or a dozen different parties mm-hmm. and a consensus has to be built across at least enough parties to make yeah. a majority. In a coalition um, at, in, a, in a coalition. And there are advantages and disadvantages to that. But one of the advantages is that it's very hard for and, and essentially what 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 is Happened in the GOP is that a small majority of a small majority, so you've got 51% out of a group that has 51%, means you've got 26% of the country and you've got complete power. And that's not something that can happen in a multi party system, you need to build a coalition, and it's just that much harder to have an extremist government, because you might might get one party to adopt an extremist line, but to get several parties to adopt that, that's quite unusual.
0: Yeah. I've often wondered, you know, because I've seen the coalition governments in Israel and and, uh, around the world, the European... Uh, and, you know, it's, it's kind of funny every now and then they have, they have a referendum where they go, we can't all get along. So we have to quit and revote this thing, which seems semi-wasteful. But I suppose that's what has to happen in balancing that. Um, uh, I remember when Theresa May, she forced her own vote and shot herself in the foot with her.
1: With oh, her, yeah, that was a major error. Her attempt to grab um,
0: power. I, I often yeah. wonder if in the U.S. we would have more of that. I mean, certainly in the most recent election that we had between Hillary and Trump, uh, they both came with so much baggage, and, and especially with Hillary Clinton, you know, she became the lesser of two evils. It became a lesser of two evils vote. I mean, I don't like Hillary Clinton. I have no problem voting for a woman at all. Uh, but Hillary Clinton, over the past 25 years, has so many, um so many issues, so many political follies, so much uh, sort of dirty political dealings and stuff. Um, She was just horribly tainted in the eyes of the voter. And and in reality, uh, we were set up for anybody to win who was going against the establishment. I I do believe Bernie Sanders would have won if uh, Hillary hadn't thrown the Democratic Party into the bus. Um, I, I believe Bernie Sanders would have won because he was also an extremist compared to, in um, anti-government, you know, let's change fucking everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe he would have won over Trump if, if we would have kept him going. And certainly the fact the electorate was so turned off by the lesser of two evils, all the good people really didn't come out and vote. A lot of the minorities didn't come out and vote because they were so disenfranchised. Um, and that's of course what these politicians play and count on, you know, um, they want, they want the base to be fired up. And, and Cambridge Analytica did a great job of that. I mean, Cambridge Analytica, uh, Analytica and the Russian bots targeted black voters I mean they had one of the largest uh, uh, Facebook pages that was controlled by a white guy I think or a Russian uh, That was that was the uh, Black Lives Matter it was one of the Black Lives Matter Facebook pages and no one had any idea that it was just a troll and it was designed to disenfranchise those people to not show up and vote um, and, and they ran a hell of a good game. I'm hoping that what we're learning from Cambridge and and the Mueller investigation and everything else is we're realizing that these people can use these dark forces and magic and, and computers and the dark web to really uh, fool a lot of people. And I'm hoping that as a, as a, as a human being race, we're going to start realizing that and flip back the other way. Um, You know, I I constantly console myself with the uh, speech uh, President Obama gave where he goes, you know, uh, as an America, we go through uh, dark times, we zig and we zag. And we usually hopefully find the right footing and follow the right course most of the time. And every now and then we have to learn the hard way and we zig and we zag. And then we have to go, wow, that really turned out ugly we better stop doing that and go back to the way we used to do things. Um, we've already seen a lot of that here in America. I don't know what's going on in Europe, but, you know, we've seen the, you know, our, most of our news was almost dead and was just Ooh. playing endless reruns of the Kardashians and no one cared about print or, or news agencies much, but now there's been a resurgence in the power of them and, and people listening to the news, watching the news, reading the news, getting educated, um, you know, a lot of the millennials evidently, um, uh, that didn't go vote because they were so used to having, uh, ethical presidents to a certain degree, uh, cause they grew up with the Obamas. They didn't know anything else. Um, they grew up with presidents that, uh, you know, maintained a mode of common decency and, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, and, uh. You know support or i can't think of the word i'm looking for but but you know uh supporting the power of the presidency what it means what it means in the in the world and when it's spoken and instead we've just mm-hmm. put uh, uh, uh a white trash <laughs> mobile home running billionaire into the presidency and it's just fucking jerry springer every goddamn day
1: um it certainly seems entertaining from this side of the Atlantic. I'm not sure that I'd want to be any closer than I am. Can I move
0: in your basement?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know about that. We could try and make some space. to get out of here soon, William. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's
0: going on. <laughs> I mean, at least you don't have North Korea threatening to fucking nuke you guys. I mean... Uh, uh
1: it, it, yeah well that's a whole a whole other show i have to say though um uh, um it seems like i hate to admit it it sticks in my crawl but it seems like that um trump might have played the madman better than kim jong-un or however whatever his name is um uh because they've announced that they're going to stop their nuclear and rocket tests Mm -hmm. um and it might be because uh, everybody was afraid of Kim Jong Un because not because he was powerful, but because he was uh, viewed as, you know, being close to insane. Um, perhaps Trump convinced him that that he could do a Kim Jong Un act better than Kim Jong Un could. Um,
0: possibly, I, I think I think China had a lot to do with that, and I, I do think yes, Trump yes. Had pressure on China to address the thing, but certainly. But certainly, there was a lot of political powers that came out of China to to get this taken care of as well. I think I think China saw the Arab Spring and the problem that refugees cause. That one of their biggest worries, evidently, has been that uh, either we might attack North Korea and there would be just millions of of uh, North Koreans in refugee crisis pouring into China, and they, they would have to deal with this huge economic problem mm-hmm. of that and and this social. Uh, monetary and and of course you know dealing with all these people flooding into the country, and mm-hmm. and there there might be another thing that comes out of that crisis. There could be a new terrorism that comes out of that, uh, new ISIS that might rise, from uh, you know immigrants of North Korea, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, who knows where that whole thing can just go to a shit show. That uh, it, it's probably impossible to predict abortions it can go to. Um, And so I think, especially when you saw recently with him going to China and meeting with China for the first time, I think China Mm -hmm. sat down with him and said, hey, man, look, we're done. This has got to stop. You know, these last couple of years, we've seen the proliferation of their nuclear program and their missiles and what they're firing. And so I think a lot of that stacked on China's um, way. And uh, it just reached a point maybe with Maybe with Trump just being a complete fucking buffoon and being an asshole on Twitter, you know, China went, hey, man, we got to get North Korea to fucking shape up and ship out because these two stupids are going to fucking end up destroying everybody, right?
1: Yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing happens in North Korea that the Chinese don't at least yeah, allow exactly. to it, it might yeah. not be that they're deciding it, but they're allowing. And I think for a long time they were perfectly happy for North Korea to consume a lot. North of Korea energy and or China food and, food China food and Russia
0: have let North Korea do whatever they want, so that we keep focusing on them, so that they can get away with all their dirty tricks around the world. Yeah,
1: it, it it consumes energy. That's that's yeah. the purpose of it. And, for and, and, and when and, it starts and, to look, and, look a little bit too dangerous, they will, they're kind of reeling it in.
0: Yeah, and, and I honestly think that recently, when uh, when when. Uh, uh russia likes us being in syria and us having the problem of trying to still fight a war and and drain us of economic stuff it's the same plan that al-qaeda had with uh with their terrorist leader who blew up 9-11. um you know his whole thing was to uh just economically disrupt us by having us spend our own money like stupid pigs and credit and breaking ourselves and driving us into recession that's what he saw in going after 9-11 and the, and the twin towers that we would respond in kind and crazy and spend all this money, which would sink us into an oblivion of recession that, that wiped us out, which we actually almost did, spending $4 trillion in Iraq. Um, you can certainly say that was a contributor to us uh, us uh, in the Great Recession we went through. Um, and that's what Russia is doing in supporting and I think when Trump came out and said, Hey, we're gonna pull out of Syria, I think they dropped that chemical bomb on purpose to keep us in Syria. I think they dropped that I, I don't chemical know. bomb a week later on purpose to draw us back in. Because they like the um, dream that it has on us.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know about that. I'm slightly limited on my time, but I think it's probably worth discussing Russia sure. very, very briefly. Sure. The um um Vladimir Putin was a KGB agent based in East Germany at the time that the communist government fell, and he's highly aware of that. He is very uh, conscious that any civil unrest in his country could cost him his neck. He's in a dictator trap. Mm. Uh, dictators don't retire; they either die in office or they uh, they get uh, shot by their by their. Uh, uh, whoever overthrows them because they, they've committed so many crimes along yeah. the way. that or they, or they, they die in they the head. Yeah, yes, exactly, because that's, that's the, the, the other yeah, one. That's certainly where the Syrian um,
0: president is going. It's just a matter of one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, and, uh, well, William, I don't want to take any more of your time, but I'd love to have on the show again where we can talk some more of these items, and I like having some international content. This has been very enlightening. Yes, uh, will you give us your uh, plugs again? Uh, that people find you. Sure, yeah,
1: um, I I I'll just give you one for people who want to hear the um, podcast it's challengingopinions.com very simple.
0: Cool. Be sure to check out Williams podcast. I really like the concept of that having a counter-counterpoint, having a having a, you know, a good debate and of course, you know, listening to other people's concepts. Um, here in America it's it's a whole lot tougher because um I already know what your racist argument is. <laughs> right and, and, and you can't fix stupid, but uh, you know I'm, I'm interested in checking out some of your podcast episodes so I can hear this sort of thing. I, I kind of like maybe like to have some of that on my show. Uh, at one point in the early years of the show, I did have um, a co-host who was very good at, at kind of taking the counterpoint alternative thing not fully, but she would offer the differing opinions and and that was really great content. So there you go. Anyway, thanks and for waiting for coming by the show and visiting us from Europe. He's in Germany right now, of course. Uh, and thanks to my audience, the greatest audience in the world. The world. We have the best audience. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling Trump out there. The Bigly. We have a Bigly audience. Anyway, guys, we flattery,
1: flattery, flattery will get you everywhere.
0: Flattery will get you everything. So uh, we certainly appreciate you tuning in. If you've listened this far, we love you even more. You're the best, and I will be beholden to you as a friend forever. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, be sure to tell your friends, neighbors, relatives. Go to iTunes, Google Play, hit that YouTube.com for/slash Chris Voss bell notification button, so you can take and do there. Uh, we have puppy. We have the puppy. Rocky the puppy uh, is growing up, and he is his videos are being dispelled on YouTube as well as the podcast. So you want to do that. And of course, all the reviews we have from the Chris Voss Show. Uh,
1: thank you to everyone for tuning in and our guests, and we'll see you guys next time.